Hey everyone, it's Tom Kradz and we're back with another episode of the Your Life, Your Terms show. So first off, we just want to thank everyone for the reviews we're getting in on iTunes, for the feedback we're getting in person and through email. You know, we're having a lot of fun doing this, a little more fun than I think we had originally even anticipated. So thanks for all the feedback. It's kind of motivating us and it's giving us ideas for upcoming episodes. So uh, keep sending in your thoughts, keep uh, sharing your review, reviews. Um, it's really encouraging and we're really getting a kick out of this. So on this episode, we have a great story. This is someone who is now a Rockstar coach and has been with us here at Rockstar for quite some time. Um, he works with a bunch of investors, but we had no idea some components of his story. So you're going to hear how he started reading books at 22 years old. And then when he was 24, started buying real estate. Um, and we really had no idea where he first got the money. Wait till you hear how he outlines the down payment process that he went through to buy his first property and then where he is now and what he's been able to help with other people. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a great story. We talked some multi-unit investing and some details of analyzing multi-unit investing in apartment buildings through the, through the talk. So we hope you enjoy it. So we won't delay any longer. Let's get to the show. Are you ready to live life on your terms? Is it time to take charge? Real estate, business building, the economy, health and nutrition, and more. It's the Your Life, Your Term Show with Tom and Nick Carazza. Are you ready? Let's go. Okay, we're live. So, Paul DeBruzzo, where's your family from? Middle of Italy? The big place called Abruzzo. Abruzzo. Yeah. Middle of Italy? Somewhere in the middle, like Rome, east, southeast of Rome, Adriatic side, on the Adriatic side. Yeah. So we could take a boat from your place to our place. You throw a football. I don't know if it's. You got a good arm. <laughs> so we have Paul DeBruzzo on the podcast. Paul is. Uh, He's a young guy, but you're not really that young anymore. I'll explain in a second. The reason I think you're a young guy is that uh, you started buying properties with us. Uh, I don't know what you yeah, were thinking. Yeah, how old were you when you started? Uh, I think uh, I closed on my first property when I was 24. So I think I became a member like 24, 23-ish, somewhere around there. 24, you bought your first property, and then you went on to buy a bunch more properties. And then now you bought... Do you, buy, do you have any buildings for yourself or you just help people buy apartment buildings? No, I do have uh, one commercial building and then a smaller co uh, residential slash commercial building. And how old are you now? 32. You're 30. Yeah, oh, so you, you are, are old, old guy. guy. Yeah. Old, old guy. guy. Old man. You're old, old man. From here. But what I was going to say is that part of Italy, you can't quite throw a football. But I have taken a ferry from there, from Ancona, Italy, over to split overnight, a slow moving ferry. And I slept outside on the dock. Um, that was a great little trip, but yeah, I was young. I was young. It's fairly close. It's really close. Yeah. Um, okay. So I just want, just so everyone's aware before we get into some, I'm going to ask you about some apartment building and some of your favorite areas to invest in all that kind of stuff. Why it, what, what was it at 24 years old that made you buy a property? That's not normal. No. Um, it started a few years before that. I was, uh, just a young kid hanging out at home and for whatever reason, wasn't doing a lot like any other you know, 20, 20 year old, 21 year old kid. And you were a punk. Yeah. You punk, punk. <laughs> punk doing bad things that I won't mention on this, <laughs> on the show. Perfect. <laughs> maybe, I mean, maybe enough time's gone by that you can't get in trouble for a long <laughs> Um, anyway, there was just something inside me that, you know, s that I decided that I needed to make things better. 
So just like most people who have that feeling, I started reading books. And uh, I was living with my grandparents at the time, and I just started reading and reading and reading and reading. And when you're that young and have nothing better to do, you can get through a lot of books really fast. And, um, you know, after that, I, uh, I got onto this kind of seminar mode. And I started going to seminars in Toronto and outside of Toronto and outside of Ontario even. And I ended up um, in this seminar in California all by myself. But I should preface that it was, uh, you guys probably know this one. You guys ever been to the Millionaire Mind Intensive? Yeah. Harbecker, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you're 22, that's a big thing. That was a big, so where did you go you to that You were 22 one? and you flew to California alone to go to the, to go to like a Harbecker seminar? Yeah. Wow. Good for Why you. Did, Most people won't take that plunge. You know, just about this, just so you know, I went there to save our mom because our mom called me when I was about 27 and said, I'm going to Red Deer, Alberta. <laughs> to see some guy T. Harv Ecker yes. talk about the Millionaire Mind Intensive, and I took vacation days and flew on points. When my son would have been like, so this is like 13 years. I guess my son was about one. I told, I explained to my wife, I'm gonna take vacation days to go with my mom. We landed in Calgary, rented a car together, drove up to Red Deer, Alberta, because he wasn't in Ontario at all, and we were standing on our chairs screaming. And I bought some plastic plastic buckets from him where you save your money you know how he teaches this method of like you save your money like you have one plastic bucket to save for like like the long term long term short term -term. and then i came back with my plastic buckets i these things were probably worth a dollar from the dollar store i think i spent like fifty dollars on these things i lugged them home and then i went to the bank and i opened bank accounts to Mm -hmm. match my plastic buckets and the guy thought i was insane we still have half of those banks bank accounts and use them to this day as a side note i i didn't buy the buckets because i'm not as crazy as you (laughs) (laughs) 50 bucks no i just i just went i still have one at home i I just went to pc financial open free bank accounts but i still use those accounts to the day I manage the the percentages I put in to my own liking, but I use them and I've used them very, very successfully. I find them, you know, we still use them too. You kind of have like, we have like a primary or main checking account and then we have like a health account and an insurance. I forget, we've renamed them over the years, yep. but like an insurance, an account for all insurance. I think an account for all the kids' activities and then mm-hmm. a car account and we chop up our money like that into accounts. It's It's been a great little tip. Yeah. Before, <laughs> it's ridiculous how simple that is. He, t- he taught that. Um, but anyway, then I think our mom signed up for all his other courses, like the, the oh. warrior yeah, camp. She went, to- she went to everything. Our mom's always been like, yeah. our, our, our mom, I don't know if we've ever shared this yet, but our mom also put us into meditation camp when we were like 13, which means Nick, you would have been like eight. I remember, I remember learning about me- memory pegs and, and, you know, putting yourself to sleep. I remember the whole process of trying to get into the meditative state and stuff. <laughs> and I remember that from when I was that age. It had a really positive inf- impact on me. Well, did, you know what? Just if nothing else, just the understanding of it made a big difference to me. Yeah, it made me feel like I was in control of my life. Yeah, like and I never me- really got to no? that level. But no. <laughs> no, really? <laughs> no control over here, okay. but, but it was good. Um, but anyway, so Paul, so yeah, we've all been down that journey. You know what? Just as a side note, when I was working for Oracle at the time, they sent me to Vancouver. This is even, this is, I guess, right before I went with our mom to this thing or right after. And T. Harvecker's offices, I, mm-hmm. I looked him up on the back of some book and they were in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So they were paying for my taxi ride from the airport to the hotel. And I diverted the taxi to some industrial area outside Vancouver. And I walked into T. Harvecker's offices. I didn't know what I was expecting, but it was just basically where they have all the setup for the big presentations, the stages and, and some boxes full of books. 
I guess no one walks into this place. They were in shock. You know, they're like, who are you? How did you, what do you want here? What are you doing here? And I said, oh, I'm just a big fan. I don't know. Can I buy a book? And I bought like a book. And then I went back to the hotel and I was supposed to be doing work for Oracle. And I think I read the book and I was just thinking about it. It was called Speed Wealth. Yeah, I have now, it. You have that book? A little yeah. thin one. little thin, great Black book one. though. Great yeah. book. To the point. So, <laughs> yeah. So we all start that way. So, yeah. Steve Hart, but, but you flew to LA for that one. Yeah, I was at the Toronto one and it was at the time he was still doing the uh, part of the conferences because now he doesn't do them anymore apparently I haven't been in a while and if you've never heard the guy speak he's uh, like you're Amazing. almost blown back mm. his communication is his closing skills is unbelievable oh, yeah. and his voice is just like booming almost like an opera singer like you're mesmerized anyway wow you really liked him <laughs> wow when, when you're 22 and <laughs> yeah, you know yeah he mean? had a big impact yeah anyway so I bought this conference and it, I remember, I'll never forget it was called Never Work Again never work again and it was all about how to generate streams of passive income and to me this i i learned this word two words passive income there and i was like oh my god that's the best thing ever right so a couple months later i fly to uh california i don't even remember where now but anyway, i remember landing at lax and i'm like wow this place is twice the size of pearson this, pearson's nothing <laughs> like eight terminals and we flew on one of those little airplanes with the like the the propellers I remember sitting beside the propeller. We land in this small place, and it was a nice little resort. It was held in, and it was three days of uh, more people selling stuff on stage, <laughs> basically. You went from one place where they were selling to another place, yeah. there, but this time you flew to go there. Nowadays, I appreciate the process, but I was kind of, um, yeah, you were kind of bummed out. But yeah. Yeah, 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 but anyway, it was a good experience. But I, you always learn something, even though if they're pitching stuff. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But I, I left there with um, two things. A, I learned another word called cash flow, and I learned about real estate. And the thing I, I noticed there was half the guys, at least half the guys, were in some real estate-related thing, and they were generating passive income. There was guys selling mortgage notes and guys of commercial properties and guys of residential pro and all kinds of crazy stuff, American stuff. Most of it not really relatable to what we do here in Canada in terms of investing, especially to what we do here at Rockstar. But anyway, half real estate. So when I got home, I had passive income, I had cash flow, and I had real estate. That's it. Yeah, so it got you thinking. That's it. Well, yeah. I, it got me from all the books. I was thinking like a million things. And, you know, going there actually focused me on those three little things. And somehow I researched and did a bunch of stuff and landed at Rockstar. Or actually, I landed at some really crappy website called Real Estate Renegades. Yeah, we still have that website. That's a wonderful <laughs> That's a website, website, just for the record. Go to that one right now <laughs> yeah. while you're listening to this. Yeah, it's <laughs> not very, while you're driving. That's a great one. It might be the, the best looking website yeah. on the entire internet. <laughs> but it worked. And then some somebody started mailing me a bunch of paperwork. That was our mom probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, no, I think, no, I think that we was were still us. doing, they were, was we were still still doing mailings at that time. Yeah. This is like 2000. We were still arguing about who can lick the envelopes faster. 2008, 2009, something like that. Yeah, that was still us. And uh, yeah, so I read all this stuff and I'm like, okay, they're, they're not going to stop sending me stuff unless I go to this this free train. Okay, so then you came out to when, we, when our office was in Burlington. Yeah, I remember. I remember my, my girlfriend, who's my, now my wife at the time, Laura, came with me. And uh, I had this girl named Emily emailing me. Yeah. And when I got to the front, it was actually Andrea sitting there. And I thought it was Emily. And she's like, no, I'm not Emily. I'm Andrea. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. 
<laughs> so then you came wow. and then how did so did you have enough money like you saved up enough money at that age to buy a property did you borrow money from no, your family no hell no no i uh i had a couple thousand dollars i'm literally a couple thousand dollars kind of lying around and um at the time when i was actually going to buy the property i literally had to break two picky banks and roll coins no way i'm not kidding no, I didn't know this. Yeah, and I I, I put in another twelve hundred bucks in coins, and I had oh, wow. a no, I had it was one piggy bank and one of those. You know, remember back in the day when we had pennies, you used to keep the big, the the, the liter, the four liter jugs yeah, yeah. full of pennies. So I counted all those, and I, I put in like twelve hundred bucks more. You had twelve hundred bucks in change. Oh yeah, in pennies. Holy cow! It was four liter thing. Yeah, it was the <laughs> monster thing. Wow. <laughs> plus plus savings. plus like you know a, a couple regular. Piggy, I'm Italian. Yeah, no, he, he no, I'll give you money. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, okay. yeah, so I, I was still short, and uh, uh, at the time, Laura gave me an extra couple thousand dollars to finish the, to wow. do, the, do the closing costs. I forgot about closing costs. Yeah, yeah. did we <laughs> conveniently forget to tell you about closing costs? Probably. No. Yeah. I was well, maybe, <laughs> maybe I don't remember that much. That's but okay. Uh, if you're not putting the blame on us, we'll put it yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's probably us. We yeah. probably forgot to tell you. Oh, geez, yeah, there's closing costs. And I, I did my first property. And um, luckily, it was uh, one of those rent-to-own properties. And I used the down payment I got from my first property to fund my second property. You had uh, a decent down payment, didn't you? Yeah, it was in the first weekend. <laughs> we closed on a Thursday. Uh, we went there on Friday, picked up the keys, we cleaned the place. Uh, me and Laura slept there on Friday night on blow-up mattresses. Wow. And ate takeout food. Woke up Saturday morning. I had already been advertising a week or 10 days before it even closed. So Saturday at 1 o'clock, we had people showing up like crazy. Sunday, we had people showing up. Um, Saturday, we had people who wanted the place. I said, come back Sunday. I, I went home that night, slept, came back. <laughs> Sunday, and you brought a check, and uh, we got a $12,000 down payment. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah, that was nice. <clears throat> that was worth it. So it was worth sleeping on the, the blow-up mattresses. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're crazy enough. And that's when you knew that, like, if she was going to do that with you, that's when you knew you had to propose at some point down the yeah, road. Yeah, it only took, like, five more years. Yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> it was it was solidified. <laughs> and then after, then you went to, like, student rental properties, right? Yeah, we did a couple more single-family homes, then went up to student rental properties, did a couple of those, and then we went up to some small residential-type multifamilies fourplex and a triplex so all just saving money because then i know you got your real estate you joined the rockstar team i don't know at what age yeah it was shortly after the first year i was okay less than that even so then you were making and then you're also a firefighter yes yes so you were making money and then just saving like i'm just trying to figure out how you bought these properties you just kept saving every you yeah i i kept saving and i, I mean i wasn't making much money the first you know two or three years that i was buying but when you when you it's almost like collecting stamps, I guess. When you find something you like and you're really uh, attached to it, you 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 find money. Mm -hmm. You make it work. I don't know how. And you your living expenses were probably pretty low at that point because you weren't living in your own home yet. You had started investing. No, first, that's right? that's right, true. So that probably helped out. So that makes a bit because I know for me when I was able to save money early on, working full time but living at home, mm -hmm. it. I mean, you take those expenses away, and all of a sudden, you, you, 
you know, because what happens early on in your early 20s, sometimes you start working full time, you're living at home, and instead of putting that money to good use on something, you're out partying, you're drinking, you're doing all sorts of other stuff with those funds because it's just so readily available. Don't get me wrong, I was still partying heavily. (laughs) (laughs) The 20s are pretty much a disaster, especially for guys. But I think something that we've noticed a lot is that we end up seeing, Paul, people like you in their 20s, and then we don't see hardly anyone who are 30 or in their 30s, and we'll only see people here at Rockstar who are looking to buy property again in their 40s. And my theory for that is... That yeah, in your twenties, you still are like Nick, like you're saying, you're living at home. You can save up a bit of money and buy an income income property. In your thirties, you're starting a family, you're buying cars, you're buying your first house. You have no disposable income, and then people come back to us in their mid forties and say, "Oh my gosh, you know what? I need to get some properties quick." So we see people in their twenties or in their forties. It's uh, weird. We I, do I, see some people in their thirties, but it's 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 kind of like it a little seems bit like there's more of a gap. Yeah. the majority will start either earlier or later. Later, yeah. Yeah. I believe it. Now that I'm 32 and have two kids and a house, and yeah, the money's just flowing. Crazy expenses. It's just flowing out. I feel like I'm everything I make, I spend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. I don't think the kids get cheaper either. They're, your kids are still young, so as they get older, I think they're just. Gonna, I just look at Tom and how much money he's spending. And I hope I don't have to spend that much. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to come to Tom with my handout for some money. <laughs> um, how did you get over to if a that par- works? Let me know. Uh, by yeah, way. How, did, how did you get over to apartment? I'm seeing a Paul's. I'm looking at Paul. He's wearing a gold chain as I'm talking to him. He doesn't look like the kind of guy right now. If, just if I ran into you and go out in the street, I wouldn't think that you need money. But he's <laughs> Italian. You know, if you need money, you can just get like reconfirmed. You're Italian, right? So you can yeah. get reconfirmed. You can have a big party. Tell all your relatives to come over and bring you cards with money in it. Get the booster yeah, going. And just, yeah. just get married or have kids. Yeah. And money flows into <laughs> your life. Yes. Um, how did you get over to a because you've done you've always done really good something I guess I've kind of just admired of you from afar is just your ability to crunch numbers and and smell out good properties mm-hmm. you've always had a really good knack for that mm-hmm. um, how have you how did how did that transition happen to a multi units and apartment buildings because you had to research it and stuff how did, you just thought what bigger is better is that well, uh, which is usually which which is kind of incorrect a lot of times, but you you went to it. Yeah, it, when you start crun- learning how to crunch numbers in real estate, you you start to learn that you need to achieve some kind of efficiency if you want to grow your portfolio. And in theory, not always in practice, but in theory, the bigger you get, the more units you have under one roof, in theoretically the more efficient the income you produce should be because you have only one roof and one heating system and one front door and one address and one building to manage versus 10 houses with 10 roofs and 10 furnaces and 10 ACs and 10 different tenants and 10 different locations, mm-hmm. right? So it, it does work, it's just in practice, it's not always like that. Yeah, I still never buy, I personally just never buy into that theory, mm-hmm. but I can see where it comes from, like I understand where it comes from. And how do you analyze, how do you crunch the numbers? And the reason, just, just so I'm clear, the reason I don't buy into the theory is because once you go up to like a 12 unit or a 14 unit, there seems to be so much competition for those buildings that the prices of them for you to buy them are so high that the return you get on these buildings is super low. Well, like I'll tell you, since we're talking about Italians, I'll tell you, some, uh, an older Italian guy once told me, you don't make money buying buildings. You buy buildings once you've made money. Yeah. And I always thought that was really great advice because it seems like the returns are better in some other categories of properties. But you've made them work. And I want to talk about, for someone listening to this, how do you crunch the numbers? Like, what is it that, you, when, you, when you're looking at a building, what's the first thing you look at? Location, numbers, uh, size? Is there a, a size window? Like, what's the first thing that you look at? Well, if I'm looking at buildings, it's, I'm only looking in locations that I already like or the fundamentals are already good. So locations never really apply. Give me a couple of examples. So, I mean, no one should be surprised. I mean, in the greater 
Toronto, Southern Ontario area, uh, Kitchener-Waterloo, Cambridge, Hamilton, and Niagara area all have great fundamentals for multifamily. They're growing. The demand for rental is there. And uh, you can still buy buildings that still make a decent income enough to cover your expenses and cash flow. Yeah, because a lot of people leave, like often we'll, we'll mention these other areas and not mention Toronto, right? But Toronto, look, there's all sorts of demand for good rentals and stuff in Toronto. But to your last point, the prices are so high, there's so much demand that the returns are squeezed so low that a lot of people, um, like ourselves included, like to go out, we're willing to go out from the city a little bit to get better bang for our buck. To, to make that... Uh, put more perspective of course in Toronto there's much more demand even twice the demand for rental but because the prices are so high it puts individual investors like me and even the three of us sitting in this room out of touch for most of the properties so the people who will buy those properties are a lot of times developers and people will pay cash and you'd think they're crazy but when you have a lot of money sitting around, you don't know what to do with it. They've made their money. That's back to our point. You've made the money. Yeah, you now you need park to park it. it to then collect the rents and make your return and you're happy. And they're parking it because it's consistent and they don't have to worry about the money coming in. It's not something they have to manage day to day with their fingertips. It can be left with a property manager. They could live in God knows where or go on vacation God knows where and it's still fine. Yeah, and it's relatively safe. Like it's one of the reasons that CMHC will insure multi-unit mortgages, right? Because they view it as a relatively safe asset class. CMHC, I I talk about this in the class we have at Rockstar, CMHC is an insurer and by default they're totally biased against risk. Yeah, totally. So other than your own personal home, the only other asset class they will manage or, or excuse me, insure is multifamily. So by their definition, they think it's safe. You know, why Why wouldn't we? So, and just since we're talking about that, you can buy through their program. Although it's rare, they do have, pro- do they still have the 15% down program? <laughs> I know it's, I know, I know where we're headed, but let me just, just for everyone and, and just point the, paint the picture. They do have a 15% down program. It's just that the appraisal, the appraisal is likely not going to match what you're buying the property for. So even if you get approved to put 15% down, you're going to have to come up with the difference. So if the property you're buying for 1.5 million is only appraised at 1.3 million, you are going to be able to buy the property at 15% down of 1.3, but then you have to come up with the extra two hundred thousand dollars that you're buying the property for. Exactly what Tom said. If that confused you, rewind and yeah, listen to, to that a bunch of times. But that <laughs> yeah. but that still exists, and that's most people yes. don't know that they use the terms loan to value instead of down payment. So they will finance the purchase at eighty five percent loan to value. The caveat being based on their appraisal, appraisal number. Yeah. Yeah, which is a rude awakening if you think you're buying the property at 15% or 85% loan to value and then it comes down at, yes. back at a different value. Yeah, but you know, when you're financing a commercial and you know, the mortgage broker listening might not like this, but if I'm representing you or if it's my purchase, I treat commercial financing like a buffet. There's I don't just go to one person and pray for the best. It's insanity for me. So I go and I get a CMHC option. I go and I get a commercial option. If it's in a place like Hamilton or KW or even smaller towns anywhere in Ontario, they'll likely have local options, credit unions and stuff. So you want to go to them and get options. The credit unions are financing bill. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, absolutely. They okay. Will. They love it. Why wouldn't no, they? No, no, it makes sense. No, it makes sense. I just, I don't think I've ever talked about that. Yeah. Okay. Of course they do. So uh, especially if it's in their local community and they understand it and the guy behind sense. the desk who's literally going to write your application, he knows it, he can drive by it, which he will, they're going to finance it. 
And then uh, when you're crunching the number, oh, but you know what? Before that, I just want to talk about the property values. Nick and I looked at a building. Uh, Paul, I don't know if you came to, it might have been before your time on St. Clair. Do you remember that building that we looked at? Yes. Big mistake. And, I do actually. And uh, it was before cap rates went down to, we'll talk about cap rates in a second, but before valuations of buildings went crazy. And we were, we, we kind of laughed at how much they were asking for that building. Yeah. It's probably worth double. Yeah. And a few years later, it probably doubled just because cap rates got squeezed down. We'll talk about that in a second Mm -hmm. if you're not familiar with cap rates, but then, um, who needs an extra couple million bucks? Yeah. Who needs an extra, what's a couple million? Um, then there was this building in Oakville. Paul, were you the one who delivered the message for me on that one with Uh, my brother-in-law? I think so. My brother-in-law, I don't know if he wants me to share this or not, was going to buy a property in Oakville. And I remember thinking it was pretty expensive, but it was like looking back, it's laughable. What, well, how many know, units was that thing? Do you think? I think it was 16. I think it was 16 units. Or 1.1 million. 1.1 million. No, it was, it was more. It was like 1.6. I think that's what it went up to. Because oh, okay. the banker that we were using gave you a message saying, can you tell Tom to tell his brother-in-law that remember when you guys said it was so expensive and the cap rate was already crazy, that the cap rates went crazier and the building that he thought was too expensive at 1, 1 million or 1.1 is now worth 1.6? And, and that was in a really short time frame too. Like, yeah, that was like, like 2000 and from 2008 to 2009 or something. Yeah, it was, it was, it was short. It was, I, was, I was gonna say two years, it was like but a it was year. really yeah, short. Yeah. yeah, it was crazy. Anyway, okay, so then you, you pick a good area, and then what's your first thing? You just add up, ask for the rent roll, say how much is this property generating in gross rent? Yeah, very simply, in my head, I can do it, and you can do it too with the iPhone calculator. Gross gross income, um, you'll want the gross expenses, and the gross income minus the total expenses, I should say, give you net operating income. So very simply, all the rents all added together minus what it takes to operate the property, taxes. Talk into the mic. Taxes, insurance, uh, utilities, property management, maintenance, et cetera, et cetera. So when you have your NOI, that's probably the most important number you need when you're looking at multifamily. After your NOI, you want to figure out or estimate what your financing will be because your fin- your NOI will service uh, the your, debt. your debt. The mortgage. Yeah. And whatever's left after that is your cash flow. Got it. Okay. So gross so gross income is going to be like total rent, any laundry services, maybe some money for parking, maybe storage, not, minus vacancy rate in the area, which is a big point because the bank's going to assign a vacancy rate to the area whether whether there's vacancy in your building or not. Yep. So it's that's the gross. All the income it generates, storage, thank you, minus vacancy rate. And then some sample expenses would be like... So very simply, going down the, on my specific list is property taxes, insurance, then you got your utilities, heat, hydro, water, uh, maintenance, or management, then maintenance, and then some ancillary expenses you may or may not have at the building. Could be garbage pickup, could be landscaping, could be snow removal, uh, could be uh, cleaning the hallways, could be a number of things that are dependent on the property itself. Superintendent, did you say super? It could be super, yes. I looped that in with management. Sure, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. Okay, and then, yeah, so that gross revenues minus all those expenses, net operating income, and then whatever your mortgage costs are going to come up to come off the net operating income. What's left is the money basically in your pocket. Am I forgetting anything? I think that's it. Yes. Okay, and how do you, you know how it's always, people talk about cap rates. How do you, do you, can you, do you know off off the top of your head? Yeah, so basically it's net operating income. So all the income minus all the expenses and would give you an NOI, and you would take your NOI and divide it by the purchase price. So if 
the net operating income of the property was fifty thousand. The gross income is a hundred thousand. The gro- total expenses are fifty. It leaves you fifty thousand NOI. If the price of the building is one million dollars, you take fifty thousand, you divide it by one million, and that gives you a five percent cap rate. Got it. And cap rates are what everyone talks about on the valuation of a building. Right. When you're talking to all the pros, quote unquote pros. Correct. Yes. What mm-hmm. are cap rates? What do they look like in like Kitchener right now? I would say Barry, I don't know, like roughly around Toronto. Yeah, Kitchener Waterloo area, you're in the five to five and a half. Yeah, oh, okay. Hamilton. I thought you were gonna say like four and a half, but five, five well, and a half. Well, some people try and get that. Doesn't mean they get okay. it. So in Hamilton, roughly the same, but you can get some better cap rates. I'd say five to six. And Toronto? I know I'm generalizing saying yeah. all of Toronto, but Toronto yeah, four and a half or below. Yeah, so the prices are pushed up, up, making the cap rates come down. Yeah. Basically I find that at a five cap rate, you're cash flowing enough to keep the place alive. Mm-hmm. Anything below that, you're into break even or negative territory with most buildings. Yeah, there's just not enough free cash to just pay for what you be, you need to do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, what about size of buildings? Do you have like a preference on the size of building? Just bigger <laughs> is better? Or? Whatever you can get. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> I'm just asking that's making me sound crazy. But um, is there one that's too small? No, not really, not okay. really. Sometimes in, in, in a practical sense, if you're actually looking to buy a multifamily building and you have you know, a few hundred thousand dollars and you can afford up to 1.5 million and that might get you a 10 or 12 plex, sometimes it might make sense to get two sixplexes or two fourplexes. Why? Or three fourplexes because of what's available. Sometimes you may not find the 12 or the 15 unit that you can afford. It might not be available in the marketplace at good enough numbers for it to make sense. It might make sense to actually get two fourplexes. And if somebody buys one of these things, let's say they hate it. How long does it take to sell? I buy a 10 unit in Kitchener. Mm -hmm. I price it at a cap rate of five. I, I want rid of it. How long does it take me to get out of this thing? If you price it properly and... You know, there's no glaring massive deficiencies that are going to get noticed by someone like me. You know, 90 days, 120 days. That's funny when you said noticed. So you mean just kind of hide it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> they try it, it all the time. <laughs> Basically, they assume What's you're the stupid. Great, what, what have you seen that you, people try to hide? Oh, my God. Do you want a, a list? <laughs> no, no. Just just give me an example. <laughs> well, they'll, they'll say like on, a, on an initial tour, let, let's say it's a 10-unit building. You never see all the units on the first no. tour. It's insane. Yeah. You're not going to bother every single tenant. You might see one or two. But then you'll put in an offer and it'll get accepted. And you'll say, okay, I'm coming back to see all the units. Well, unit six is not available. She's sick or something. I'm like, okay, no problem. We'll skip that one today. We got to come back and see unit number six. Well, we can't see that one because of another excuse. Basically, long story short is you finally get in there and it's a, a dungeon, a hoarder's paradise or a rat infested unit, something. Something's wrong with it. And they're just trying to kick it down the line so maybe you forget. And they'll, they'll sometimes do that with parts of the building that they don't want you to see. I, I wouldn't take it personally. It's just... That's part kind you know of how what? guys do something. H- having said that, that building that we were talking about earlier in S- on St. Clair in Toronto, they told us on a unit like that, I forget, it was like, come back next time for this unit on the ground floor. It was a bachelor. Mm-hmm. And we're like, okay, you know what? Uh, we'll come back and see it. We finally get back to see this bachelor. It was basically a storage unit, mm-hmm. but it was a storage unit that had a kitchen, a hot plate, and one of those Smith beds. You know those beds that go up and down? Yep. So when you open the door, if the bed was down, you couldn't open the door. 
and it had a little washroom somehow in the corner. I feel like this bachelor was 10 feet by 12 feet. Like it was somehow this was the whole bachelor. Somebody would rent it. Yeah, and it, you know, it wasn't rented, but on the rent roll, they were running the numbers yeah. like it was rented so that the numbers look like, you know, hey, you could rent that property that that out, but then you realize, oh my gosh, this isn't even this isn't like a 12 unit building. This is like mm -hmm. an 11 unit building with this weird kind of room. Okay, so that's what you're talking about. Yeah, if you if you you know want to learn how to calculate numbers and run numbers quickly in real estate, the best place to do it is with analyzing multifamily, and it's a very valuable skill. Like, you, they can't hide anything from you when you know how to use numbers properly and you know how it equates to the marketplace and what it should be. Yeah. Okay, and then, but the one thing, you know, when people start investing, I still guide them away from multi-unit investing because some I do people, too. <laughs> yeah, do you? Why? Why do you? Well, it's not a natural place for most people to start. So you know, just the money involved? Is that where you're coming from? Uh, no, not necessarily the money. It's it's just the if, if you're not experienced with it and you're just learning real estate for the first time, unless you have a strong business acumen, it's probably not somewhere you want to start because it takes a certain set of skills to be able to do it. And I couldn't wasn't able to do it when I first started. I had to learn what I had to learn. So you have to know how to run numbers. You have to know how to manage other people and property managers. You have to know how to manage you know, a different set of people with different goals and values in your tenants. Um, there's just a number of things. You need to have some experience with renovations and construction and- They're their own little business. You gotta run it like its own little business. Uh, if you don't, it, you're, it's just, it's gonna be a mistake. And a lot of people aren't ready for, a lot of these buildings, if, if the people buying them, they're not used to maybe like older kitchen cabinets that still don't have rails on the drawers or, you know, so, so there's certain uh, a repair level that they might not be at. And these people just don't want anything to do with them. And they, they're like, they, you know, they, they want nothing to do with the property like that because they're they don't have granite countertops and the latest LED pot lights. That's the that other thing, thing. And this is going to sound horrible. But if, if you're not used to renting out units for like, Paul, what, eight hundred dollars a month or something like that, sometimes um you're not used to some of the things you have to deal with in some of these buildings. I think it's, and, and I, I was guilty of it too, so I don't want to sound like that, that kind of guy, uh, but you have to understand that some people live at different standards than you might be used to, and that's just what it is, you know, and there's no nice way to say that. <laughs> no, that's Sorry. a really mature way to say it. Yeah. Um, Okay, and then yeah, I, I think one of the reasons we tell people not to start is uh, we don't we tell everyone look if you haven't invested in real estate you might not even know if you like real estate mm -hmm. if you buy a nice little single family and treat it as a rental property and buy it somewhere where we can kind of make the numbers work that's a really easy property to sell or refinance even if you are going to keep it it's also a really easy property to manage it's kind of like a nice starter business it's a nice way to dip your toe in the it water it really is because right? then if you want out, if you, you can't can deal with, you know what if the chances are. Early on, without the experience, if you can't deal with that, then don't get to a deal with the building. It, you know, you're going to have a substantially harder time dealing with the building. Yeah, the only people I've seen go straight to buildings are people with uh, an already. They already have a business acumen. They already have a skill set in another business they may run or their own personal business. Yeah, they, they get understand. the bigger. They get the bigger picture. Yes. Yeah. Because some people invest in real estate and they make, you know, 200 bucks a month on the property and they're using that 200 bucks a month to fund whatever else else they're trying to do. Whereas in a business, you don't take all the money out, out of, of the, the business, business every single month because the business has no way to grow. It's got no safety yeah. net. 
So with these buildings, people are parking the money and they're running it like a business, reinvesting exactly. back into the building, exactly. raising rents for to get return on that money that they're reinvesting. What Nick just said took me a while to figure out because when I started going, reading all the books, like Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and Cash yeah. Flow Economy, I started right. to understand passive in income. And then I started going to the seminars. I just added up the $200 a month that you were saying and saying, oh my gosh. If I get two hundred dollars, if I get five of these things, that's like a thousand dollars a month. I think my mortgage payment back then was like thirteen hundred bucks a month or something. Like that's pretty much my more. You know, maybe five is my more five or six of these properties. That's my mortgage payment. I didn't realize it is like any other business, and a business requires you to feed it in order to survive. You can't starve the business. And I remember when I first started learning about that and reading about that from other business and entrepreneurs. I got I was pissed off with them. Because I thought, oh my God, they just don't get it. Like, I just want to, if I can earn $100,000 from my properties or from my business a year, I'm just golden. I didn't realize that to start a business, you have to, um, you have to feed it so much. I, I was clueless to that. Yep. Um, oh, does that sound me? Anyway, You're good. You're good. so the, the, the biggest thing I tell people when they're first getting started, and I'll add something else after, is you sh probably should start out with multifamily, or excuse me, with single family 80, 90% of the time. But you can always turn it into multifamily in the future. Uh, to go with multifamilies to start out with, you're going to be parking a lot of capital for a longer period of time, and you have to be okay with that. Starting with single family allows you to recycle that uh, investment you made probably a little bit faster to buy your second property and your third property. And if you're getting started that way, it makes more sense to let your current portfolio if you have three, four, five properties, buy your multifamily rather than go in your savings and rip it all out and buy a building that's going to sit there for five, eight years maybe before you get your money back. So let your properties buy your multifamily. So this way you have another, you still have a base of properties to, to continue to feed from, like you said, your business. How did you buy uh, your Turks and Caicos property? <laughs> A lot of cash. <laughs> so that was just a straight up cash purchase? Yeah. Did Isn't you, that the worst? When we bought that place in Croatia, it was uh, the same thing. We're don't like, remind so me. We have to pay it all in cash? We're like, don't get So used to like, like small bank? down payments, right? Yeah, that's a... And a four year... It took us four years to close. Well, that process was... Uh, we, we might not even own the property, actually. We, there's still 50-50 chance we, whether we own it or not. Who no, knows? I, I think legitimately I we're th at the last step where it's like at the land title, at the title registry, we're still not moved over. But like I, in some other paperwork, it has our names on it. Well, when we go, no one else is there and we get to stay there. So that's all that matters. No one else has claimed the point. property. Yeah, yeah. You, you have access to it. You yeah, we have access and we yeah. think we own it. It's, been, it's a very, very expensive hotel room for us. <laughs> and, and all, you know, like, all joking aside, we not only did we have to pay in cash, we had to give the sellers cash because the banks in Croatia, okay, if you're not oh, familiar right. with I this, wasn't there, you did they, it. They don't trust each other because of hyperinflation back in the 1990s during the war. Banks went completely out of business, apparently. So if you, we banked at a different bank over there than the sellers banked at. So I, when I went over there to do the final payment, I said, okay, do I just go and get like a bank draft? And the, they looked at me like I was crazy. Um, or they didn't, I think it was the bank I went to looked at me like I was crazy. And they said, no, you're going to have to take all this money out of cash. So we need like two weeks notice. So I had to request, I think at that time, I think I requested like 50,000 and it wasn't Euro. So it was 50,000 Euro, but the equivalent, cause this was our last payment on the place. It was the equivalent, was the in, equivalent Kuna. in Kuna. And this was like 18 million Kuna <laughs> or whatever. And literally I came out of there with two like Longo's plastic bags full of cash. 
And then I walked and I paid the sellers and then they counted it in front of me. And this is the way business was done. It makes Canada no, look so No, you didn't brilliant. pay the sellers, didn't you? You didn't take no. it to a bank? You didn't take no, it to their bank? No, I paid, I paid the sellers. And, and they sat there and counted it? Yes. Well, they had to. And I feel like I, I so I watched them count it all. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. guess I forgot a that. A lot I of was, elastic I must bands. have left that year. A lot then. of elastic bands. That's hilarious. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was shocked to this day. I was still amazed by the thing. Just a chunk of cash. Is that how you bought in Turks? You uh, just, no, bank wire. Yeah, bank wire. Okay. Bank but wire. it was a cash payment you had to make too. Yes. Yeah. There's a lot to that story. I don't know if you have time for that. But it's thing. a vacation property for you? Yeah, that operates. We're renovating it right now, but it will, in a couple months, operate. When as you a, say we, you and a friend own that myself one. Myself and uh, my quasi-business partner, Andrew. Yeah, you guys own that one together. Yes. Okay. And you're renting it out all the time? Uh, it was rented, actually, full-time to a couple of uh, British teachers who lived on the island and taught English at the school. And uh, they, they left, and we had a hurricane come through. I don't know if you heard of it, Irma and Maria. And crushed it. Pretty devastating. And, uh, li- well, devastating for a lot of places. We luckily made it out with not so much damage. But it was time to renovate anyway, so uh, whatever. We just took it in stride and uh, spent the money and fixed it up. So it's almost done, and it will operate as a you know fully-fledged vacation properly by May, May May 1st. Did you guys buy that? Ju- I'm just interested in the mindset. You guys bought that just so you have a place in Turks and Caicos, or you bought that so that you knew every year your families were going to use it as a vacation home? Because if it's fully rented, you're not using it. The cheesy line I use is ROL. So we were looking, instead of getting a return on uh, income or a return on investment here in Canada, which we could have done way better with the money here, we're getting on a return on our lifestyle down there. So, yes, we make a little bit of money, but it's nothing you know, yeah, exciting. But we get to improve our lifestyle, and that's really what the real estate's all about. If you're not improving your lifestyle, then really what's the point? Yeah, agreed. I like the I like the video that I saw of one of the renovators, the work they were doing. I think they were moving some bricks or digging a hole, and it was like, I thought it was in slow motion, but it wasn't. <laughs> and the guy was picking like <laughs> a, half a brick up at a time or, or something and throwing it into the ditch. Island time, man. Yeah, because yeah, Andrew, show, Andrew showed me, he's like, look at the pace these guys work at. He goes, what if these guys were at your house doing your, because your, this is one, this was probably when I had moved out or something, and he's like, what do you think? And I was like, holy cow, it drive me crazy, but what can you do? That's, that's the way it works. But it was literally one little block at a time. <laughs> so you started reading the books at 22, bought your first property at 24, you're now 32. So 10 years, I'm just trying to paint a picture for anyone thinking yeah. about this. 10 years. Oh 10 years, you could really make a, I mean, I don't know if you think it's a big change, Paul, but financially you went from rolling pennies to buying a property in Turks. When you think about it, you were rolling pennies yeah. and to buying it. It's a, it's a pretty big deal. And that's just a testament to you, man. So, mm. and I just want to, what have you found out about your health? You battled a bunch of health stuff and I think we're mm-hmm. going to bring in. Um, Is that because of real estate? It's your fault. Maybe, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. The Maybe stress involved in property. So listen, if you're going to be an investor, you got to be ready for serious health issues too. Yeah. No. You, you know, you have to become a professional, and I mean this with all sincerity, a professional problem solver. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, real you estate is not, we were all, the whole idea that it's passive income. Oh, it's passive an active, income takes an awful lot of, awful lot of work. Perf- it takes but, a lot of active work to create passive the income. The thing that I learned is that your problems never really go away. You just had better problems than you did yesterday. And, you know, the results from solving those problems get a little better and better the more problems you solve and the better you get at solving them. You know how proud them. I am of Paul right now? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's what it is. The stuff that used to freak me out, like when I first started investing, that would like drive me crazy, I, it would stress me out. Now when the exact same thing happens, I'm like, oh, well, whatever, I'll deal with it in a few weeks. Like I leave it on my desk for weeks. And that's the stuff that before I thought was like the worst possible thing and it's really like a non-issue. 
you know, so yeah, the, the goal is always, at least for us, it's always been to create bigger problems for yourself. Buy a commercial building and, and get uncomfortable again. Get uncomfortable again. <laughs> we you need bigger problems. Every time I, I'm stressing out about some problem, I'll always tell Nick, my problems are too small. Like this problem shouldn't be bugging me. I need bigger problems. And as soon as I find bigger problems in my and then life. And I say, okay, here's some. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And as soon as we focus on bigger problems, the small problems seem to magically take care of themselves. Like, I don't know if they, I, I, this sounds, I know how this sounds ridiculous, but they almost either vanish or the solution just magically well, pops Well, they vanish because you ignore them because you realize they don't matter. They don't matter. there's bigger things and you got to worry about. Yeah. You ignore them or you acknowledge them and immediately do something about it. Yeah. yeah you just, just immediately to get it take care of it. Boom. Yeah. yeah. You can make a decision so much faster. And, so and whenever you're stressing about a problem, that's the number one thing that comes to my mind. Like, is this problem worth me figuring out? And why don't I have bigger, better problems to figure out? And my, my health took a, a turn because I had too many problems at a time. I mean, self-inflicted problems. I mean, I was doing doing probably too much at a time where my body needed to rest and I didn't know how to listen to my body or listen to the signals and you know it just put my body into a state where I couldn't handle anything never mind doing real estate I couldn't you know barely get up during the day or get up out of bed during the morning so I mean that was an adrenal thing you think it, it was adrenal thing and then it was another thing and another thing no, the, the, the hours of firefighting probably didn't help no, nothing I did help. All of it together. It wasn't one thing yeah, yeah. over another. Yeah. And it was partly my fault too. And then, you know, another thing. And, you know, you just learn. And I'm, it sounds crazy, but I'm grateful for the experience because I'm, I'm, I'm better. I'm a better person for it because I know how to listen to my body and I know how to take it easy. I made some changes in my business. I hired a couple of assistants. I have a team of realtors that work for me now. And it was all because of that. If that never happened, I probably wouldn't have gone down that road. So you did all the standard stuff, food intolerance test adrenal test mm -hmm. probably like stomach yeah i had some parasites in there a candida infection uh now we think there's a, i have a high concentration of ferritin or iron in my you blood said that, that's right that's kind of causing believe it or not heart attack like symptoms that are pretty scary if you don't know what it is but as soon as it's funny as soon as i we found out probably and there's a very good chance that's what it is immediately the symptoms drop by 50 percent it's like, okay, at least I have control over it now. There's some kind of control there. I know what it is. It's easy to fix. And it's just gone. Almost like acknowledging a problem. Mm -hmm. What, what, what broke? So what broke for you? You just, when did you know you really had to address your health? It was, you couldn't get up in the morning. It was like 2016. And I remember coming home from the gym cause I was, you know, heavily into CrossFit at the time. And I haven't, I haven't even been back yet. And I was, uh, at the time, I was feeling great. I was strong. I was, you know, doing everything I wanted to do in the gym. And then I couldn't recover. I couldn't. And I would go back, and then my performance was like 50%. And but you were sleeping enough, you felt? I was sleeping. I was still sleeping, but I couldn't recover, and I couldn't recover. And then I started to get brain fog in the afternoon. And I mean, you know, enough brain fog that you're like, okay, what's going on here? Like, I don't know about you guys, but when I was in my early 20s, I smoked a lot of weed and that's how I felt. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like you couldn't function, mm -hmm. right? And I just went through a brief period of that. I don't, I don't know why I didn't stick with it. It wasn't my thing. <laughs> well, you try I went through a brief period of going, going for it and then I'm like, huh? Oh, okay, check that off the list. Try the candies. Never mind though. Um, and then brain fog and then fatigue, but fatigue enough that you notice like, hey, what is, what's going on? And it doesn't go away. And then I think it was you. It was Tom who was going through something similar, who went mm -hmm. to see a naturopath 
who referred me, and it turns out I had the same thing. We're going to bring him on, I think, next week or two weeks. Sorry, two weeks yeah, he's coming on. Definitely lightsaber. Mark your calendars for that one. And What uh, are you wearing on your wrist right now? This? Apparently, uh, you have the Canadian rights to this. Right? Yeah, no, I should. We, Nick and I both <laughs> should. No, but... Uh, no, not me. This is all you. No, no. But uh, no, has that been helped? So what is it? That's measuring your heart rate variability, this, your... This is a whoop band. It's almost like a Fitbit, but much better. Mm -hmm. And have you found that useful to get that data in the morning? Yeah, very useful. Very useful. It man uh, you <coughs> manages your, not manages your sleep, but it tells you how you're sleeping, the quality of it, and your heart rate through the day, your average, how well you're recovered enough. If you're working out, I'm not anyway right now, but um, it's, I recommend it once it comes to Canada. Yeah, the recovery is the, the key for that one. I think that's the, that's the biggest difference. Is that's the biggest one. It is available in Canada now, Paul. Oh, it, it is? is. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we, go Nick to Tom's just, website. Nick just and I bought it. Tom no, no, we're not affiliated <laughs> with Whoop at all. Actually, Nick, I, I got something. I'm so excited for a different one that Nick has got for me. I'm on pre-order for the Aura Ring. Yeah, the Aura Ring, which is a ring that does something similar. Um, I, I haven't played with it too much like because I haven't seen the app yet because we haven't got the hardware, but I know Tom's into that type of stuff pretty heavily, so I, I got him one of those things. The, the new version comes out in um, uh, about a month or so. Um, Have you heard of this one, Paul? It's, it's a ring that you wear nope. that will track your heart rate variability. Yeah, it's supposed to be good. And the battery life's up to a week. Yeah, I was, I'm more, I'm interested now in the HRV and how it's calculated because sometimes it doesn't make sense, but I, I just go with it. You know, if you ever, if you ever, if you ever drink, like if you stay up late drinking, you'll, it makes sense then because your recovery is always like really shot. Like it's pure, so that is always consistent. I find though, I can see it like clockwork. Yeah, if I have wine, good, yeah. the next day my HRV is messed up compared to not drinking wine the night before. Mm-hmm. We someone sent us a screenshot of theirs. This was a few weeks ago. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna throw that under the bus too much. Their recovery was four <laughs> percent. It was like, apparently it was a good night. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good night. night. You know what? The weird part is I don't know if it's just stress or sometimes um, in the summer when I'll have people over in the backyard and have a few glasses of wine by the pool and the kids playing around and I will drink. And the morning, my recovery is really strong. Yeah, mine too. I uh, the so, correlation that I think it is for me, it's relaxation because I'm I'm turned on so much, right? You're you're the same yeah. way, right? So if I get an opportunity, it's, it's sleep. I, I I don't generally sleep enough, but um, but also with just relaxation, if I get a couple hours just to chill out, which doesn't happen as much, my, it'll it'll make a big difference in my recovery. So it's not just sleep and food and that type of stuff. I know you change when you eat, and that's made a difference for you. I, I eat a lot. I eat all day, so I, you know, I eat up right till I go to bed. Yeah, and I don't know if I, told I get help get food. First thing out of bed, I get food. Last thing before I do before I, I go to bed is put yeah. food in my mouth. Well, so. What was frustrating me and I, Paul, I can't remember if I mentioned this. I think I did. Is that uh, my recoveries when I was going to see Doctor Cow and I was complaining, saying, "Hey, I'm doing everything right. I'm like getting quite a lot. I'm, tr I'm really making an effort to get more sleep. I'm getting sleep. I'm eating well. I'm doing the cross. I'm, I'm loving the exercise, but I don't think I'm exerting myself too much. And my recoveries, like two or three times a week, were in the red zone. And he said, "Hey, he was trying it with one of the UFC fighters that he works with, and he said, "Hey, look, just stop eat. Give yourself a 12-hour window." Um, where your body's not taking any food. So it's kind of like the easiest form of intermittent fasting that you can do. Oh, I never heard that. And he said, just do me a favor. When so night to morning. So yeah. He, he 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Basically, seven, he said, seven. when do you eat breakfast? And I said, every morning it's like clockwork, 7.45 a.m. That's when I have breakfast. And he said, for a month, stop eating at 7.45 p.m. Just to see how that works. I, I started doing that on day two of doing that. My recovery started going through the roof. Mm -hmm. My body just seems like it needs time to process whatever I'm eating so that when I sleep, it can work on the recovery. And that's about as scientific as I can get. With yeah. But he was explaining to me the details on it. And now I'm just a, it's, it's made a huge impact on me. 
And now it's to the point where if it's like, because I think I am definitely a little OCD-ish sometimes. If it's like 7.43 and I have two minutes left to go, I will just shove some food in my mouth so I can eat before 7.45. But uh, yeah, have I mentioned that to you? No. No, it's been a big one. Yeah. I'll I'll talk to him. I'll try it. Okay, Paul. So uh, cool, man. So what, how many kids now? Two. Two kids. Two. Are they gonna? When are you gonna have them buying apartment buildings with pennies? Oh man, I don't know. <laughs> Not my pennies. No, no pennies. There's no pennies to no roll pennies anymore. Left. They can they can make their own pennies or nickels. Yeah. yeah. Next time you're on, I want to talk to you about some other stuff. I want to talk to you specifically about some gold and silver stuff. I know you're a believer in some of that stuff. Oh, yeah. We're not getting a time to talk about it today. So uh, cool. Thanks for doing this, man. Hey, no problem. Hey, it's Tom Kradza. So we hope you enjoyed that. If you want any kind of real estate investing information, we have a ton of it on rockstarinnercircle.com. That's one of our websites. So it's www.rockstarinnercircle.com. You can uh, get different articles. You can get uh, digital downloads of our books on that website. Um, You can register to come to one of our classes that we host in our offices here to learn more about real estate and real estate investing. So there's a whole bunch of information for you on on that website. And if you have any feedback on the show or you want to reach somebody like Paul, who you heard on today's episode, or anyone here at the Rockstar on the Rockstar team, you can email podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com. So podcast at rockstarinnercircle.com. That's the best way to uh, to get through to us from this show. And uh, just really want to thank everyone again for the feedback we're getting on the show. We're really, as I mentioned at the, at the top of this show, we're getting... Uh, We're getting a lot of it and it's positive. So thank you for that. So if you could take the time to give us a review on iTunes or send in your thoughts or when you see us in person, share anything on your mind about this. It really helps us guide future episodes as well. And with that, we have three new episodes planned um, throughout the next about uh, week or so. Um, One of them while we're down in San Diego. Um, It's not firm just yet, but we're excited about that one. So I'm not going to share the name. And then a couple other ones. We're bringing in a couple of the professionals that we use in different capacities. One is going to be Dr. Dr. Cowan, who uh, we talk about a lot of health stuff with him, and um, we are uh, patients of his, so you're going to hear Dr. Cowan on an upcoming episode. And uh, Dr. Pete, our chiropractor, is coming on the show, so we have some different episodes. Stay tuned. We're going to address some of the chiropractor controversy and see uh, if we can get to the bottom of things. So that's it. Until next time, your life, your terms. 